ask everyone to go ahead and take your seats, and we are going to begin our time together this morning. Uh, if no one has yet, if you managed to sneak past uh, anybody at the doors or you weren't in Bible class with us this morning, I'm going to welcome you to West Irwin Church today. Hope you're having a great start to your week. Uh, it's about to get better, I promise. Um, just a couple of announcements. Uh, tonight, uh, there is not a, the singing class, but we will have Bill's Reflections class uh, at 5 o'clock over in the office building in, their, in Stan's uh, Sunday morning classroom. Um, we mentioned last week, uh, Taryn was here and re- let you know that uh, she was baptized, but also just as a reminder of this summer, um, Annie Moore was also uh, baptized this, this month as well uh, on one of our, our youth trips. Um, did have a couple of calendar things we wanted to let you know about because uh, we're trying to plan around, as you're, uh, many of you are aware uh, of our uh, construction that is going on over in the Family Life Center. Uh, currently, we have our back-to-school prayer night. Uh, which has always been something we have done over in the Family Life Center, scheduled for August 9th. Now, we want to uh, still have that before school starts, and so we're going to uh, pivot because uh, we will not be able to get into the Family Life Center that night, and so we're still going to have it on the 9th, but we're going to let you know uh, next Sunday where and all the plans around that. Uh, So it's still, still happening. It's still a focus. It's still definitely something we want to do uh, for our kids, uh, but it's going to look a little bit different. And so uh, next Sunday, and as the week goes on, you'll get an email letting you know uh, about the details for that. But it, it, there is a, a blurb in your bulletin just asking you to mark the date. And if you've come up before in the past, you might have an idea in your head of what it always looks like. It'll look a little bit different this year. Uh, the only other thing is, again, a reminder of our Praise and Harmony workshop that you see there on uh, in the bulletin. It's just coming up now in three weeks. Uh, our leadership on the night, uh, on Friday night, and then uh, everybody is invited to participate on Sunday. So just uh, as a reminder for that, it is not a, just a singing event. Uh, it's, it's a lot more than that. And so uh, as I encourage my class this morning, I want to encourage you as well, whether you've been coming to our extra singing nights that we've been having on Sundays and Wednesdays, uh, please come and be a part of that event. Uh, it will not be the same. Um, on the back of your seats, you'll see one of the white cards uh, that have, uh, we're just asking for a record of your attendance. So whether you're a member or visitor, there's a spot on either side of that card uh, where you could fill that out and uh, just let us know. We ask you to do that about halfway through our uh, assembly this morning. One of our young men will come by and pick that up. So go ahead and fill it out now and don't do what I do, which is wait until you see a little boy at the end of your aisle to start frantically trying to write your name down and then Thankfully, Frances can read my handwriting, and so she knows it's me, but sometimes it looks pretty rough. So those are all our announcements this morning. Before we get started, I want to ask you to join me and stand as we begin our time uh, in prayer, and then I will turn it over to Davey. Heavenly Father God, we are grateful for another day. We are grateful for the opportunity to be together, to worship, to be encouraged, to gather around the table to be prayed for, and to pray with others. The church functions in so many different ways, and what we see on Sunday morning is just a small picture of that. And so many people are blessed as a result of the way you knew we needed life to be, the way that the church surrounds and encourages 
at all times. That when we, when we are aware of what's going on in the lives of other people, it makes us better. It makes us able to give and to receive. And so, Lord, we are thankful for all of those things. Even though we did not walk with you, as we, some of us talked about in our Bible classes this morning, Lord, we are affirmed that the truth of the Scripture is real, that those who did were able to share that story with us. And it gives us hope not just for today, but for tomorrow and for the months and weeks ahead. God, we are grateful for the story of faith that long precedes us and that continues to challenge us and encourage us and point us toward how we look more like your son. And as our, our stories become part of that bigger faith picture and we tell those stories to our children and our grandchildren and our friends, God, I pray that we are encouraged as we walk that path with you. It's in your son's holy name that we pray together this morning as we lift our voices in praise. Amen. Remain standing for our first two songs. In heavenly armor we'll enter the
As Bill ends his series on Job this morning, I believe this song fits very appropriately uh, with all that Job endured in his life. My Jesus knows what I church. Welcome everybody to our services this morning, those that are here and those that are online. It's a wonderful day to come and meet together as God's people to worship God. I've got a few last minute uh, announcements I would like to make. Uh, one uh, that is in the printout, but it's uh, Harvey Strickland, Lisa's daughter, Lisa Snell's sister, Pam Pemberton, passed away yesterday. And um, and also, Nelda Cade passed away. That's Alton Cade's wife. They were members at Glenwood for years and years and years. She passed away yesterday as well. And also, kind of on a sad note, uh, James and Connie Sublette, this is their last Sunday here. And so, if you get a chance to visit with them after services, please do, because they're headed to the Metroplex. So... Godspeed, we sure have enjoyed all the work that y'all have done all these many years. With Our church has been blessed because y'all have been a part of it. So, I want to do a shout out, so you old people like me, 
don't know what that is, that's called East Texas bragging. Just good old Texas bragging. I want to do a little bragging this morning. I want to brag about the We Connected class. Two weeks ago, we had a small group at our house. It was last minute. Uh, I was woefully unprepared. Diane had spent the night in the hospital with her mother, so she was unavailable to help. But that group rallied anyway. They came over and we had, according to kind of my count, it's hard to count that many kids, but probably around 40. I mean, I'd be a preacher count of 50 or so, I bet. So we had a, a great group. They uh, brought everything that they needed for everything that we did, and they took everything with them. So, including their children. It was a great evening, and it was a wonderful time. Uh, they're to be commended because they uh, have wonderful families, have wonderful children, and they are winning a battle with their children that the rest of us, my age and older, never knew it would even exist in this country. They're winning against the odds that are against them. And I'm proud of them. And y'all should be too. When you see these little kids running around, that's not a nuisance. That's a blessing. Let's recognize that for what that is. And let's encourage those people who are raising their kids to be here and raise godly families. They're not doing a perfect job. None of us can. But they're doing an outstanding job against all odds. And if you have children at home, you need to be a part of that group. There's a lot of strength in that group, a lot of strength in unity. And there's a lot of mentoring there of how to approach all the difficulties of this life as a Christian in this crazy world of 2023. Will you bow with me? Dear God, we come before you this morning as your church, recognizing you as our creator and sustainer. We're thankful for everything that you've given us, dear Heavenly Father, and we come to you this morning to, with some things on our hearts, and we pray, dear Heavenly Father, for strength for Harvey Strickland and Lisa Snell and their entire family and the loss of her sister yesterday. This life is not easy so many times. Pray, dear Heavenly Father, also for the Nell Decade family and the loss of Nelda yesterday. We pray also for... Garrett Smith's family, the loss of his brother this past week, and we pray for strength and that they can find assurance that there is life after this life, and this is just a stepping stone for all of us. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, for all of those that are mentioned and listed on our prayer and care list, dear Heavenly Father, the so many friends of the Hallmans who are having difficult times. Um, Dean Harrell and Rachel Pugh and Ray Ground and, and uh, Liberty and Keaton Hartman who have had a 
child who has illness. Pray, dear Heavenly Father, for all of those people as well as all the rest of uh, the people on our prayer and care list. We know that you are the great physician, dear Heavenly Father, and we pray that your guiding hand will be on those that are taking care of all these and that you will uh, help them recover. It is our desire. Dear Heavenly Father, we come together as your church and we pray for unity. We are very united at this church. We don't have a unity problem, we don't think, but the way we continue to not have a problem is to address the the issues before us to make sure that uh, the devil does not gain a foothold. Dear Heavenly Father, our, our unity first starts with unity of purpose. Our purpose should be to live the life, to be able to have the reward of heaven and spending eternity with you. And our other purpose should be to lead as many to you to also enjoy that reward as possible. Dear Heavenly Father, when we, when we look at our actions, we have to ask ourselves, how are we doing in that regard? Are we striving to please you or are we try, striving to please a small niche of people on the internet that look at our things? Dear Heavenly Father, we spend a lot of time following people and what they say and what they do. Are we spending time in your word following you? We can't live superficial lives and be pleasing to you. And we can't live superficial lives and find joy and peace in this messed up world in which we find ourselves living. We have to look inside first, dear God. It's like the oxygen mask that falls in an emergency in an airplane. We have to put ours on first. before we can attempt to help anyone else. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that we will look inward and try to focus on you and live the lives that are worthy of the blood of Christ that washes our sins away. We know, dear Heavenly Father, that another part of unity requires forgiveness. And in your word in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, If you forgive others, your Father in heaven will forgive you. If you do not forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. The most sobering verses in the Bible. Because Jesus did not say, if you don't forgive others, my blood will cover you. He says, your father will not forgive you. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that when we look at your scripture, if we confess our sins and ask for forgiveness, you forgive them. They're gone, they're erased, they're covered up, they're washed by the blood of Christ. 
wonder why, if you've forgiven us, many times we cannot forgive ourselves because forgiveness starts with us we cannot find the joy and the peace of this life until we attempt to live a life of holiness and that starts with being forgiving of others but that also starts with forgiving ourselves because you have forgiven us for those things. In audience this size, dear Heavenly Father, at this church, we know that there are people here today that need to forgive each other and need to tell each other that. Forgiveness involves forgetting the past and moving on, living uh, life to the fullest today and also living for a bright future for tomorrow. Lack of forgiveness and living in the past causes much division. We see that in our country and that there is much division because there's a lot of living in the past. We know in our personal relationships between each other, our husband and wife, we cannot have a healthy relationship by living in the past. We have to live in the present and hope for the future. We pray to our Heavenly Father that we will identify those areas in which division exists in, this, in our homes, in our families, in our church, in our country. We will not take a part in any of that, that we will be a forgiving people who Forget the past, learn from the past, but live today and pray for a bright future for tomorrow. Because there is Satan roaming around with dividing forces amongst us every moment of every day. Let's be aware of his presence and his efforts so that we may combat that to live a better Christian life. So only then can we be a proper influence upon so many others that we do need to be influenced upon in this world. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as your church to worship you. And we are not perfect, and we try our best to worship you as you would have it. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that we will worship you according to your wills and desires as best as we understand them. Dear Heavenly Father, if we fail at that, we pray your forgiveness. As we fail, and we fail often, and we pray for your forgiveness through all of our walks of life, pray that we will get up and know that we're forgiven and find the joy and the peace that comes from living the life that you would have us to live in this world. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for all the people that have passed through these doors through the years, and we're thankful for the sublets, and we pray them that they will have a wonderful and fulfilling life in the Metroplex, and we will miss them. But we will thank you for all their many years of service here at this, this place. Pray, dear Heavenly Father, this morning we will focus on you and that we will 
keep our thoughts upon you and that we'll worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. We now remember the body and blood of Christ. There is a guiding our thoughts on communion this morning, I want you to think of communion as a gift. When someone gives you a gift, you don't just leave it sitting around, you open it, and you appreciate what it took for that giver to give that gift to you. And then, you put it to use in your lives. Communion, also known as the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, is a profound ritual that Christians around the world participate in. It commemorates the Last Supper, the final meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before his crucifixion. But what does it really mean to participate in communion? At its core, communion is a symbolic act. By partaking in the bread and the wine or grape juice, as it's common in some uh, traditions, we are reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made for all humanity. The bread represents his body broken on the cross, and the wine represents his blood shed for the forgiveness of all sins. In 1 Corinthians 1, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 11, 24-26, the Apostle Paul reminds us, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. But communion is more than just a reminder. It also means participating in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By partaking of the elements, we proclaim Jesus' death until he comes again. We accept his sacrifice as a gift, and we identify with his life, acknowledging that, like the broken bread, poured out wine, Jesus was willingly 
poured out for our sins. There's also an aggregate aspect to communion. When we take communion, we do not do it alone. We participate as a family, as a community. In 1 Corinthians 10 and 17, Paul writes, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. As we take the bread and the wine, we are not only united with Christ, but also with each other. Communion serves as a mirror, reflecting our need for grace and forgiveness. It compels us to self-examination, to question if we are living lives worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made. As mentioned in 1 Corinthians 11 and 28, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Finally, communion is a sign of hope. It points us to the future, to the time when Jesus will come again, and we will partake in the heavenly banquet. It's a reminder of the promise of resurrection and eternal life. When you take communion today, let it be a time of remembrance, participation, unity, self-examination, and hope. Consider the great love that Christ has for you and use this moment to reflect on how you can love and serve those around you. In taking communion, you're not only reminded of Christ's sacrifice, but you're challenged to live a life of sacrifice and love in response. Pray with me, please. Father God, you're such an awesome God. You give us everything that we need and desire. As we partake of this bread, Father, help us to remember the broken body that Christ shed on the cross for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
Father, as we continue our commemoration of Christ's suffering and death, we ask that you would help us as we partake of this fruit of the vine, that we may be mindful of his willing sacrifice for our sins of all time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'd like to make a personal statement. After 37 years at West Irwin, today will be Connie and my last day to worship with you. I grew up with my three brothers in the three-story building that faced West Irwin, the old building as I would call it. I survived my share of whippings in that building because I didn't straighten up and fly right. Well, it must have worked, I guess, somewhere down the line because uh, eventually I became a deacon and served as an elder for 20 years. All three of our kids were baptized here. Our two girls were married here. Connie, excuse me, Connie has served for the special ladies' lunch, for the veterans, and for the lunch punch. Connie and I will greatly miss all of y'all. And wish you good luck and Godspeed in everything that you do. Our prayers will include you, and <clears throat> we hope you will pray for us. Now let's talk about that gift again. We have a time, an opportunity here to return some of the monetary things that God has given us. Several ways that you can do that. You can put your
contribution in the plate as it's passed. There's a box out in the foyer that you can put it in or you can put it online, whatever works best for you. But let's thank God for those gifts and contributions. Gracious Father in heaven, as we uh, prepare to return some of the gifts that you've given us, we pray that we might do it in a cheerful and loving manner. And dear God, we pray that uh, all of these funds might be spent in a wise manner to spread your word and to help the needy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Since by faith I saw the stream by can leave for their uh, classes, and I'd ask that everyone else please stand, and we'll sing the song Rescue the Perishing before, we're, before Bill comes and presents to us God's Word. <clears throat> Rescue the perishing, careful the dying, snatch It is impossible 
for me to think about West Irwin Church of Christ without the two of you. Impossible. Thank you. Thank you. As Davey mentioned, today we end a series that we've had the last couple of months on the book of Job. One of my favorite books. Odd for a preacher, I know. Don't you want to pick one of the happy books, Bill? (laughs) Well, sometimes. The next series will be from one of the happy books, Philippians, which, interestingly enough, is written by a guy who was in jail at the time. But the book of Job is one of my favorites. The Gospel of John, probably my favorite. A three-way tie for second, maybe, with Psalms, Romans, and Job. The book of Job answers the question that's voiced by Satan himself, will a person serve God for nothing? As we've recounted the story and the speeches and the book of Job, the message in it all, we know that it began with God bringing up Job. It's not Satan that brings up Job, it's God. Brings Job's name up to Satan himself and Obviously, that indicates that God had a purpose in all of this for Job. Have you considered my servant Job? He asked him. There's nobody like him in all the earth. And Satan asked this question. Does Job serve God for nothing? You've given him everything in the world he could ever want. He's got a great reputation. He's got a wonderful family. He's got wealth. He's got his health. Of course he serves you. Take those things away and he'll curse you to your face. And just as God brings up Job, thank you very much by the way, he also sets the limits on Satan. He gives Satan reign, but not free reign, not complete reign. He sets the limits. And so God tells Satan, okay, have at him, but you can't touch him. You can't touch him physically. And so Satan takes away everything else, everything else. His kids die, all of his livestock and wealth are gone. His reputation is damaged. And yet, Job continues to hold on to his faith and his integrity. And so, round two between God and Satan start up. God, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him in all the earth, even though you incited me against him. And Satan again asks, well, does Job serve you for nothing? Skin for skin, you take away his health and he'll curse you to your face. And God says, okay. But again, God sets the limit. You can have at him physically then, but you can't kill him. Which as we have discovered, ironically enough, is the one thing that Job prayed for. God, if you're this mad at me, just take my life, end it finish the deal. And that was the limit that God said Satan could not do. Job's friends come and they sit there and mourn with him. And in Job chapter 3, Job vents, world-class venting at God of why this was going on the way it should Job and his friends all ascribe to a certain theology which was the righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. 
And Job had always believed that, and he'd always lived righteously, and he had always prospered. And now he was living the same way, but he wasn't prospering. And the problem is that is a generally true proverbial statement, the righteous prosper and the wicked suffer, but there are exceptions, and there are exceptional times in people's lives where it's just not true. The psalmist acknowledged that. The book of Job acknowledges that. And that was more than Job could handle. He didn't get it. And his friends couldn't handle it either. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar come along. And they say all the wrong things. (laughs) As I've said, if you want to know how not to do hospital ministry, if you want to know what not to say to someone who is suffering, read Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar and say what they said to Job. (laughs) Because it is all the wrong things. And it didn't help. And Job, the power in the book of Job were in those speeches of Job where he is lashing out at God and his friends. Because he, a righteous man, is suffering like no righteous person should ever have to suffer. If there is a true and just and almighty, powerful God, this should not be happening. It's not fair. It's not right. Elihu comes on the scene and he's younger than the others, so he hasn't had all of the time that they have had. But he begins to share some things, and yeah, it sounds a little bit like what the others did, but not really. And it sounds a lot like some of the things that God brings up when God finally comes on the scene. And then when God does come on the scene in chapter 38, he tells Job, prepare yourself like a man. Get ready, bud. It's coming at you. You got your wish. And God doesn't answer a single question that Job raised. Instead, he hits him with one question after another, after another, after another. And Job gets the message. God does what Job's three friends could not do. He shuts him up. (laughs) And Job's first response is to say this. Hey, I spoke out of line. I had no business saying the things that I said. I put my hand over my mouth. Silence. God has won the argument. But the book of Job doesn't end there. God comes at him again. Same thing. Prepare yourself as a man. That's all you are, Job. You saw, you saw yourself as a prince. Your friends saw you as a worm. You're a man. That's all you are. Nothing more, nothing less. A human being. So get ready. Because the eternal God is coming at you. And God hits him with round two. Question after question after question after question. With the basic message being, Job, there's a lot about being God you don't understand And the question is, are you okay with that? Will you be okay with that? Are we okay with serving a God who doesn't act the way we think an eternal, powerful, all-loving God should act? Because sometimes he doesn't act like I think God should act. Sometimes he doesn't act like I would act if I were God. Will a person serve God for nothing? And so at the end of the second barrage of questions by God, Job finally gets it. And not only does he say, I spoke out of line, I said things that were... I I opened up subjects that are too marvelous, too deep, too, too far surpassing of my limited knowledge as a human being. And therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. At the end of this experience, Job could say two things about God. First of all, God exists. But Job could say that all along. He could say that his whole life. 
He believed and knew that God exists. It was this second one that he had trouble with. And the second one is, I'm not him. Job couldn't say that before. He might have said it, but he didn't really believe it. Because you see, when we know how God should act and will not accept it if he doesn't act that way, we have put ourselves in the position of God. And when God didn't act like Job felt God should act, then it threw everything out of balance in his life. And he didn't get it, and he lashes out. Because Job, in all of his great wisdom and experience, knows how God should act. And we're that way too sometimes, aren't we? When God doesn't do, when things don't happen the way we think they should happen, when the news isn't as good from the lab, when the family doesn't quite make it like we want it to, when the job is taken away or when the job application comes back, no, we're going a different direction. It's during those times when the answers to our prayers is no. Satan asks the same question again. Will you serve God if there's nothing in it for you other than the opportunity to worship and serve the living God? My Jesus knows just what I what? Want? Desire? Dream of? Have to have? (laughs) Well, he knows those things too. And he'll give them to us sometime, but not all the time. Because my Jesus knows just what I need. God knew what Job wanted, but he also knew what Job needed. And what Job needed was for his prayers to be answered with a very stiff no. So let's look at the end of this great book. The last chapter in chapter 42 After Job repents, there is a restoration, sort of. And I'll tell you why I say sort of in just a moment. Job 42, beginning at verse 7. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now, you and I, over the past couple of months, we read those things that Job said, and they're not pretty. And obviously, Job felt he went too far because he repents, but God comes on the scene, and he affirms Job. And he tells his friends, you did not speak of me honestly like my servant Job did. Verse 8, so now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and so far the Naamathite did what the Lord told them and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And so Job gets some degree of vindication, but at this point, do you think he cares? 
whether Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar ever come around. He wants them to be saved and to be forgiven, but he sees all of this in a whole new light. He doesn't have the arrogance that he had in his speeches about those three. And God tells them, you go to my servant Job and you ask him to pray for you. And Job does. And God forgives. Verse 10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. And you can compare chapter 1 with chapter 42 on that one. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. About twice what he had before all this started. Verse 13, and he also had seven sons and three daughters. Same number that he had before. But not the same ones. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. Nowhere in the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, verse 16, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man and full of years. Restoration, sort of. Because here's the question. Does this restoration take away Job's experience or his sense of loss? Talk to someone who has lost a child. And then had other children. And yes, there's some pain that that helps, but it doesn't take it away. James chapter 5 verse 11 says this, As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The patience of Job, the familiar translation says. Job's perseverance, the NIV and the New King James says. Steadfastness, the English Standard Version says. Endurance, the New American Standard says. With a footnote, steadfastness. The patience of Job is what the authorized version, the Old King James says. All of those are appropriate terms. All of them. And James, the half-brother of the Lord, says we need to have that kind of perseverance, that kind of endurance, that kind of patience with God. Job's pain and suffering were very real, and Job's reaction and response were very real as well. Yet he held on to his faith, though he did not make light of the struggle. Perseverance, steadfastness, endurance all actually imply that there is something to be persevered, that there's something to be endured. Patience implies that there is something you have to wait for in order to receive. Paul would say in Romans 8, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And I want to say some days for Bill, it's more patiently than others. 
same term, same idea. Job steadfastly, patiently persevered and endured great loss and emotional and spiritual confusion by facing it honestly and turning to God with his feelings rather than turning away from God because of his feelings. And isn't that our choice today, right? When things don't go our way, when we suffer, when we don't get God, can we still trust him? Can we turn to him with those questions, with that anger, with that injustice? With that plea for deliverance, can we turn to God? Or will we say, that's it, God, you and I are done. You're not going to act the way I think you should act. I'm out. I'm out. Because when we do that, then we serve a God who has no greater understanding than we do. And I can tell you this, that's not enough God for me. Because I go through stuff that that's not enough for. And I don't think that's enough God for you. So let's talk about some lessons. Number one, there is a spiritual battle over people's souls going on that we can't see. And that's the truth. You think of movies that come out every so often and one of them that came out recently, Sound of Freedom. I hope that you've seen that. If you haven't, you ought to because it it shows us through human trafficking the the, the struggle and the spiritual battle that's going on in our world. Good versus evil. This is from the world. As Eric shared, many of our classes studied the book of 1 John or a couple of chapters from it today. And that talks about the battle of good and evil that's going on in the church. Between Christians. Some who will acknowledge their sin and seek to walk in the light. And others who will not confess their sins at all. Good versus evil. Wade shared about that during our shepherd's prayer time. And I heartily amen that statement that our young families are facing things even I never dreamed of. We think of this great passage in Ephesians 6 that's listed there, the spiritual armor. We sang it earlier, soldiers of Christ arise. The belt of truth, the, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the Feet fitted with the gospel of peace. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All of these wonderful things, the helmet of salvation, they help us fight that spiritual battle. Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your spiritual armor on. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we'll only be winners of that battle if we tap into his power. It's his fight. And through Christ, he has won. There is a spiritual battle over people's souls going on that we can't see. Number two, God does not expect us to deny the reality of suffering, either ours or others. We should know that from reading the Gospels at all. That great verse that I keep coming back to more and more in my life these days with everything that's going on for us. John 16, verse 33. That whole chapter really is powerful about this. But it begins and ends with this great statement or a similar statement at the beginning. When Jesus says, people are going to do all kinds of horrible things to you thinking they're serving the Lord. And then at the end, he says in verse 33, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. 
In the world you'll have trouble. There's the acknowledgement. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Nowhere does Scripture say we should avoid acknowledging the reality of the difficulties or the questions or the doubts. Nowhere. Everywhere it says the opposite. Because we serve a God that is big enough to handle that. Just as he was big enough to handle Job's. Number three, God is more concerned with winning the soul than winning the argument. And we should be too. We should be too. Because it's not about winning arguments. It's not about saving face and avoiding embarrassment. It's about winning souls. And if we win a few arguments along the way and we make ourselves look good and we feel good that we've stood up for the faith and we lose the soul, what is the use? Jesus lost a lot of arguments. He could have called down legions of angels from the cross and they would have all known. He could have jumped off that high point in the temple at the very beginning when Satan tempted him to do that and everyone would know. But it wasn't about winning arguments for Jesus. And he could have won them all. It was about winning souls, yours and mine. The best proof of that, of course, is Jesus going to the cross and staying there. In spite of everything that he heard around him. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed? In the blood of the Lamb. That's what Jesus wants more than anything. That's what we want more than anything. And I can tell you that if we lose a few arguments along the way to that, I'm okay with it. If that's where it leads. That's why Jesus, that's why Job had to hear God in round two. Because God had won the argument, but he hadn't won Job's soul just yet. But he did. Number four, God can be trusted even when he can't be understood. (laughs) God can be trusted even when he can't be understood. I get it that we're to study and learn and try to know as much as we can about God. But I know at the end of the day, we don't know it all. Will we still trust him? Habakkuk had to learn that when God told him he was bringing in the ruthless, selfish, pagan Babylonians to come and discipline his people. And Habakkuk said, Lord, you can't use a a less righteous nation to punish a more righteous nation. That's not right. That's not fair. That's not what a righteous and just God should do. And God didn't defend himself. He simply told Habakkuk, well, Habakkuk, you're going to have to trust me on this one. You're never going to understand it. And that's the first place in the Bible where we read the words, my righteous one will live by faith. Not by understanding. By trust. By faith. See, the book of Job is not just about suffering. And that's been the mistake we've made with it a lot. It's about trusting God. That's what the book of Job is about. Will we trust God even when we don't get Him? Will we trust God even when God doesn't act the way we think God should act? Is our trust in our understanding of God or is our trust in God? And those are not the same. 
several years ago before our daughter Amy and Brian had any children at all, they were trying. They were trying and they went through a miscarriage or two and ended up getting the words that, you know, this may not happen for you. And Amy wrote a blog during that time and one of the themes from that blog was this great song from Sanctus Real, Something Heavenly. It includes these words, time to face up, clean this old house, time to breathe in and let everything out that I've wanted to say for so many years, time to release all my held back tears. Whatever you're doing inside of me, it feels like chaos, but I believe you're up to something bigger than, than me, larger than life. Something heavenly. God may be doing something in your life today that's larger than life. That's bigger than your understanding. That's something heavenly. Hold on to him through it. See it through. Ask the questions. Be angry. But hold on to God. Anybody can trust God when he's acting just like we think God should act. Anybody can trust God when the answer to our prayers is yes. Will you continue to trust God even when he refuses to grant your heart's desire? Will you continue to trust God even when he makes no sense? Will you trust God more than your understanding of God and how God should act in the world? How God should act in your life? Ultimately, our daughter Amy did conceive and have a son by the name of Samuel. She became Hannah, and her son was Samuel. And then another miscarriage. But then Ella Mae was born, and then finally Will. The book of Job is not just about suffering. It's about trusting God. It didn't have to happen that way for her. They were in the process of fostering to adopt when Sam was conceived. The book of Job is not just about suffering. It's about trusting God. It's about trusting God enough to obey and serve Him, even when things just don't make any sense, even when we just don't get Him. If, like Job, I truly believe these two things about God, that God exists and that I'm not Him, then I'll be okay. I'll be okay when He doesn't act like I think God should act. I won't like it. (laughs) I guarantee you that. But I'll be okay. And what a liberating thing it is to accept that you don't have to know everything about God and how He works. You and I, we need a God that's bigger than we are, that's smarter than we are, that's wiser than we are, that knows more than we do, that can do more than we can. Job learned to trust that God, not the God that he fully understood. We can too. Finally, number five, worship is the right response when you encounter God. Everyone in Scripture who has some kind of experience with God comes away with the same repentance and humility, the same obedience and worship that Job comes away with. The Apostle Paul certainly felt that, and as he went back and forth trying to figure out what 
God's plan of salvation was, what his plan was with the Jews and with the Gentiles and now accepting the Gentiles and now what do we do with the Jews and now with the Gentiles back, what do we do with everybody? And he fought that for three whole chapters in the book of Romans and this is where he ends and this is where this series ends. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. If we can help you come and be close to that God, we're here to do it and we'd love to do it. Come as we stand and sing our song. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His graces? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? In the soul and in the blood of the Lamb? Are you in prayer we'll sing uh, number 660 we'll just sing through it one time I think if we've learned anything from the book of Job it's this people need the Lord we need the Lord For this wonderful day that you have given us to come together to worship you. Please continue to bless our youth group and thank you for Tucker Elizabeth. Thank you for blessing us during our time at Impact Houston and thank you for our time at Larry Creek Christian Camp. I pray both ministries become to be continue to be blessed. Allow us to share your light at School Out Network. Please be with us, please be with the members of our Western family. 
on the prayer and terror list. Please be, with all, please be with us all throughout this week and allow us to be good examples to those around us as we go throughout the week. Please forgive us of our sins. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.